Hello, Mountain. It's good to see everybody. Well, why don't we just give a kind of warm uh, greeting and hello in Jesus' name to everyone at all the other campuses that are Edgewood Campus and Bel Air Campus and Abingdon Campus, Mountain Road, and online. Just, just kind of greet everybody and say welcome. Glad you're with us today. Thanks for joining us. If you're new, we're, we're glad that you're, you're here. Today's t-shirt, we, today's t-shirt day, huh? Because it's like 50 degrees outside and you can wear it underneath your other layers. Um, hey, uh, we're at every campus. You'll be able to grab that, grab that T-shirt, and uh, got to be here to get one. No, nobody grabbing like all your stocking stuffers. Okay, don't no stealing in church. I'm so glad, grateful for the people who kind of donated some funds uh, to to provide this as a way of celebrating uh, this culmination of unleashed love and all that God has done over the last couple of years, and a fun way to wear them out of here and uh, celebrate God's love here, there, uh, and everywhere, uh, be, because it's a good reminder. That that uh, when you know when the sermon series ends and whatever we call unleashed love ends, um, boy, we don't stop unleashing love. It just keeps keeps going because it all, of course, begins with God and continues with God. Think about how it starts. We we we've kind of reminded ourselves every week. John three sixteen, that classic verse. It just says that this is how God what. Love God unleashed love first. He went first, and here's how he did it. He sent his only Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Now. What's important is to see that that, that that love got unleashed. And then when Jesus lived his life, he left us this example of how to do it and then hands the mission to us. Like John 20, 21, toward the end of his life, it's like he grabs us by the lapel and pulls, it, pulls you up close to him and looks you right in the face. And he says, as the Father has sent me, and I just love to put the words to unleash love, so I'm sending you. Your turn to unleash love. And then he ascended, and before he did, remember he just said, the mission's going to continue. Acts 1.8, we've been looking through the book of Acts, and here's how it will begin. Acts chapter 1.8, you will receive what? Power. You will receive power to do this when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then that happened in the day of Pentecost. That's how we began this series in week one. And you'll be my what? Witnesses. Telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. As we like to say around here at Mountain, here, there, and everywhere. And about two years ago, we just kind of dove in and said to the Lord, uh, we just want to do that. Huh? What would it look like if we did that, God, here? Just tried to become an acts like church in a simple way and receive that commission and just did our... What if we weren't afraid? What if we tried to just get our little timid, tame selves, our 21st century American selves, and said, what if we tried to live like an Acts church? What if we tried to unleash more love, more prayers, more generosity, uh, impact more people, uh, start more ministry than we ever have before? What if we just did that? And we come to the end of 2018, the, the, the noun of Unleash Love, that thing, that program initiative is going to come to an end, but the verb is going to live on, and we've got a lot to celebrate what God's done and a lot more out in front of us. And so as we begin this kind of final message in this series, I think it's important that we each ask the same question that we've been asking each week, which is this. How is God calling me to unleash love? Which means we're just going to have to listen. I hope you've been listening over the recent weeks. Listen for the voice of God and then be ready to obey. 
How's God calling you to unleash love? Well, we've been looking through Acts. We started in week one, just the early believers of Jesus' followers. They were just amazed that Jesus was still alive. And he was with them, even though he wasn't with them in person. And they felt the spirit, and things started to grow and change. And then we came week two, kind of reminded that, that the boy, there was some persecution and pushback. But God even used that to sort of nudge. And he always pushes us outside our comfort zone, doesn't he? When you're sitting on your tush, God's going to give you a push. And then last week, Jared reminded us that, boy, unleash love. It continues with this centrifugal force clear out to the ends of the earth. Now, I want to remind us of something today as we kind of dive in maybe. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 16. It's just as important as what we talked about last week where Paul and his friends go all over the whole world, right? And, and that's kind of what some of us are thinking. Maybe that's what God's calling me to do. Well, don't forget about Acts 16. Paul has a traveling buddy named Silas, and they, they're, they're going all over the place, right? They're on one of these journeys, and they go to places with strange names to us like uh, Iconium, Lystra, Derby. Uh, Phrygia, which is basically modern Turkey. They go over to the east of, of that, and, and Troas, and Samothrace, and Neapolis, and they go to this town called Philippi. And they make friends with this uh, businesswoman named Lydia, and God opens her heart, and she becomes his follower of Christ, and beautiful things are happening. But then all of a sudden, a bunch of people get upset, and they throw Paul and Silas in jail. It's like, oh, that wasn't part of the plan. Isn't that how life goes? Oh, didn't see that coming. This isn't very good. I don't like where I am now. And just because it isn't in your plans doesn't mean it's going to hinder God's plans. It's a crazy night, and the story's fun to, to read, Acts 6, 16. There's an earthquake, and, and uh, instead of running, and it opens up the jail cell. Instead of Paul running away, he just puts on his Unleashed Love t-shirt, and he stays right there, and he starts sharing love with, with, you know, the love of Christ with, with the jailer. And uh, the guy is so moved and convicted that he believes he trusts in Christ, and his whole family is baptized right there in the middle of the night. It's a strange, crazy story. Paul's unleashing love in a jail cell. When you unleash love, when and where no one expects you to, that's when God can really do the unexpected. Now, here's the point. God is calling you to unleash love right where you are. I mean, it, it's so obvious that I think sometimes we miss it because I think we're waiting sometimes for that perfect opportunity, that other place or some other time in the stage of my life when God's going to open up this ministry thing or I'm going to do this thing when things slow down or when, when it's easier. You know, no, no, no. God's calling you right now. Even if it's unexpected, let God do the unexpected by you unleashing love right there. Don't wait on a perfect position or you're going to miss your purpose. Your purpose is to unleash love right where you are. Maybe it's that place you're kind of complaining about right now. I, people, I hear that sometimes. It's like, oh, my job is so awful. It's so bad. Please pray for me. I'm, like, I'm there. It's the only Christian there. I'm like, hello, why do you think you're there? I mean, that's your mission field. <laughs> Unleash love. Get after it. It's like my school or my family, my neighborhood's hard. It's like, man, wherever you are, you're there for a season, and you're there for a reason, and that reason is to do what might be unexpected to some, so God can do the unexpected. It's your mission field. Unleash love right where you are. All right, so Paul gets out of jail, and he uh, and Silas, they run over about 100 miles over uh, to Thessalonica. You might recognize some of these names of the cities that churches get started and that Paul will write to later, and they become names of... Uh, of books in the Bible, Philippians and Thessalonians. 
Acts chapter 17. And Paul does here what he does in every city where he goes to. He tends to find the local synagogue where some of the Jewish uh, believers hang out. And uh, he starts making relationships. And they invite him, as it was their custom, to sort of stand up and give a... He, he's a very learned uh, sort of Pharisee type of uh, 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 leader. And so he, they invite him to have the floor. So if you look at Acts chapter 17, verses 2 and 3. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. So he's there for at least three weeks talking to them in the Hebrew Scriptures they're referring to what we would call the Old Testament right explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead this Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ he said the subject of his preaching was always Jesus and they were looking for the Christ or Messiah they just didn't expect it to be someone that God would let suffer and die and so he has to connect the dots from their own Bible it's right under their nose they just don't see it He's helping them see the one you've been waiting for Jesus, is Jesus. And, and he has to change their way of thinking a little bit and challenge them a little bit. And some of their hearts were really opened and moved by this. And the movement starts to grow. But as, as predictable, look what happens. Verse 5. Some of the Jews, they didn't like it. They didn't like all this new Jesus talk and this change and, and, and it was threatening to them. And so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace. They formed a mob <laughs> and they started a riot in the city. Next time you hear something you don't like, just try this approach. Just start a riot and see what happens. And this next part's sort of funny to me. They, they got this riot started. They got everyone all riled up. And so they're going to uh, go get Paul and Silas and throw them in the middle of town and uh, see what happens. Well, they go to, they hear that he's staying at a guy's house named Jason. So they go to Jason's house. Well, Paul and Silas aren't home. Well, they didn't think of that. They got a riot started. What are they going to do? So they, they grab the Jason guy. He'll do. So they take him over. They throw him in front of town. This is just humorous to me. I guess I, I see things that are funny that no, you're not laughing. So whatever. <laughs> but um, they, they, they're groping for what they can complain about. And they throw him in front. And this is what they say. Chapter 17, verse 6. Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world. The troublemakers are nothing what they are. They're just a bunch of troublemakers. I mean, these guys just started a riot. But okay, whatever. All right. And now they're here disturbing our city because, well, you know, we don't want to disturb our city. And Jason has welcomed them into his home. And they're all guilty of treason against Caesar for they profess allegiance to another king named Jesus. Now, they might not have understood everything about how the whole Jesus king thing works, but they got one thing right. Jesus does have a way of disturbing your peaceful little life. And they didn't like it, but Jesus does. He shakes things up. When you unleash love, there is a disruptive force at work. And these guys understood it. And even though they didn't get the whole king thing, Jesus does want to be king. And, he, he, and that's going to upset them things in your life. The old King James says this verse, chapter 17, verse 6. Here's what it says. These guys have come here and these men have turned the world upside down. Turned the world upside down. Now they want to turn our world upside down. And I hope that gets said about some of you. I hope it gets said about Mountain Church. That they took the call of Jesus when he said, go be my witnesses. Here's some power. Go do something. Turn the world upside down. We need to recapture more of that sense and more of that spirit. Let it change some traditions. Let it challenge some hearts. Let it upset some old ways of thinking. Let it get some people who are really just comfortable with every, the way things. And let it, let it turn everything upside down. It's going to start with you and me. Is Jesus turning anything upside down in your life? Or is everything just pretty stable and calm? 
Because I just don't know any radical Jesus followers who live lives like that. Jesus isn't some little teddy bear to hold on to or some emergency hotline to call when you get in trouble once in a while and then put it away. He's not a little bumper sticker. And yeah, there's a t-shirt. Wear the t-shirt, but he's a whole lot more than a t-shirt. Too many people see Christianity as anemic and weak and mamby-pamby and get together and sing a few songs on a few pews and then go out and, 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 and disappear because they don't see it as connected to real life. And it's because it's a reflection not on Jesus but on the people who are unleashing love in his name. And the love of Jesus, friends, it changes everything. Romans 12 says it, it'll tra- where we can be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I want to see some people who are transformed, like really changed. 1 Corinthians says that we, we can become new creatures, new, new creations. It'll change your thinking about everything from politics to priorities. It'll change your thinking from friends to finances to how you think about your past and your future. We've got to become changed like that so that Jesus is in us. And when that happens, then there will be disruption. There will be, there will be a disturbance of the peace and the world will get turned upside down for you and for other people as love like that flows through you. And... It's beautiful when it happens. I mean, this guy thought it sounded bad, you know, all, all negative to disturb, when Jesus disturbs the world like that, but it's always beautiful when Jesus does. I think of my friend Scott uh, here at Mountain. He came to Mountain at a point in his life he was just at the absolute end of his rope. He was addicted uh, to drugs and his health and his marriage and his, really his very life was just hanging on by a thread. It was at that, that vulnerable point where all he could do is reach out for help, some mercy, and uh, in desperate prayers, he called on God, and, the, and, the, and God unleashed some love on him through the mountain people and through ministries like Celebrate Recovery. And I'll never forget when he came and he stood before me and he showed me his 30-day chip. We had a good hug and a good cry and just how grateful we were. 30-day sobriety. And then there was a 60-day chip. And his life began to change more and more. And then there was a 90-day chip. And then, and then there was a one-year chip. We took pictures, you know. And then there was a year and a half. It's over two years now. And now Scott's serving in our worship arts ministry. He's here every weekend. He's got this big glow. That fear-filled face is flush with joy. And when you see him now, he just always looks happy all the time. And he says, man, I used to have to pay a whole lot of money to get the high I get every time I come and hang around with the mountain people. It's like, all right, that's awesome. That's having your life turned upside down. I could tell you about some friends here at Mountain, a couple recently. They were so moved by just thinking about the extravagant generosity that God has shown when he unleashed love through Jesus in their life. And they were so convicted about the importance of giving back to God what belongs to him through their tithe as a result of the recent 100 series that we had that some of you are here for. They decided to do something radical. I've never heard of anyone doing this. They had been tithing 10% of their income for a long time back to the church, but they, they felt convicted to honor God with what he had blessed them with for all those years when they hadn't been tithing. And they felt like they were robbing God of all that in the past. So they went back and they did the math and they figured out how much they would have tithed on that income. And they added some in for inflation and they decided they were going to give that to the Lord as a retro tithe. They called and they told us, they said, we just want to know you're excited. We're excited to be able to do this. And we, have, we didn't tithe for so many years. We, we figured it out we want to go back and make all that up. And we just wanted it would be okay. We're just going to be writing a check for $100,000. Is that all right? 
I said, well, let me think about that. <laughs> Who does that? I tell you, it's someone whose life has been turned a little bit upside down because there's, that's just not normal. Turning the website down is sometimes just simpler than that even. This last week, you may know that one of our teams was down uh, on a disaster relief trip in Wilmington, North Carolina. It was cold down there, but they were down there mucking out houses and cleaning and disinfecting and just helping, coming alongside people, doing a lot of physical work and, and repairing and building. And my, my wife, Carla, and some other ladies were on that trip. And from the stories I've heard so far, they just got back on Saturday, but I, I, I'm pretty convinced the greatest impact of their trip won't be the physical work they did. It'll be in the relationships with the people that they, they were with and the ho- people's homes they were at. Here's a picture of Miss Barbara. Here's a picture of the team, first of all, uh, a bunch of them there. And right in the middle there is Miss Barbara. I think they got a close-up here shot of, of my wife Carla and Miss Barbara. Show Miss Barbara. There she is. You can imagine how overwhelmed you'd be with the total devastation of your home, the mold, the rot, the piles of stuff. Where do you begin? It's just overwhelming. And then this crazy group of people from Maryland shows up in a van and piles out and just says, we took off work and we drove hundreds of miles just to be here with you. We love you. Let's get to work. And they spend a week. And this woman who is overwhelmed is now overwhelmed with the love of God. This woman whose world had been turned upside down by a flood now has her life turned upside down in a whole new way. And I'm loving loving the stories. They left a little pillow with her that said home. And they built a little shed, put a little heater in there. So while her house is getting worked on, she's got a place to go that's safe and dry. And she says, where did this pillow come from? They said, well, we just got it at Walmart because we want you to know you're safe and home and dry. And she begins to cry. I'm hearing the story. I start to cry because I think of the impact. Any, Any act of love done in the name of Jesus has the ability to really change something. And so I don't care where you're serving, whether you're doing something with our special needs kids or mountain kids or, or student ministries or sports ministry here at Mountain or, or tech ministry or, or communion trays or welcome ministry or waving a flag or, or adopting a child in your home or doing something for the homeless or fighting sex trafficking or leveraging your resources against racism in this country or sponsoring a child or giving a box of Girl Scout cookie to someone who's having a down day. I don't care what it is. You do it in Jesus' name. It's got incredible power and it will bring change. That's how the world gets turned upside down. And friends, we must not let up. We must not let up. And I want to remind you one last thing. All of this only really comes about when we remember it's not about you. It's not about me. Before we want to get all excited, I see a lot of people trying to serve, but it's empty and, it's, and they feel lifeless and it feels like, like just a chore. And that's because sometimes we forget the love of Jesus has to flow to us before it can flow through us. The only thing that really matters and is effective and the real power is Jesus in you. So you've got to let Jesus come into you. And sometimes you've got to just do it afresh. And you've got to say, Jesus, just change my heart. Purify my heart. Heal the brokenness. Get rid of the unforgiveness. Get rid of the offense that's still lingering there. Get rid of the anger. Wash away the hurt from the past. Wash away all the garbage that's there that's cluttering that weighs so that the love of Jesus can't even come to me. Until it comes to you, it can't flow through you. So maybe the first prayer some of us need to pray is that, God, I just need you to unleash love on me afresh. And then it'll ooze out of you on someone else. Back to Acts 17. I'm going to show you some other stuff about it helps us understand why we unleash love. Paul, Paul um, 
gets out of uh, Thessalonica, and he goes over to Berea, and a bunch of people believe. He gets chased out of there, and he heads over to Athens. Athens, Greece, the motherland. The intellectual, artistic, and cultural capital of the ancient world. Boasted the great philosophers like Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. It's in the genes. We can learn a lot, though, about how to unleash love on a society like ours by watching how Paul behaves in Athens because they were very sophisticated and very intelligent and very brilliant and bright and lots of beautiful people, but they were spiritually empty. Sound familiar? Paul looks around and he sees this place. It's swarming with idols and shrines and gods all over the place and temples of every kind. There's the Parthenon with a huge statue of Athena. You can see her glimmering uh, spear point from 40 miles away. Images of Apollo, Jupiter, Venus, Mercury, Bacchus, Neptune, uh, the whole Greek pantheon, all the gods of Olympus, everywhere, and hundreds and hundreds more, stone, brass, gold, silver, ivory, marble, everywhere you look, a god. And so, in Acts chapter 17, verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, what happens is he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. King James says his spirit was stirred. He was upset. He was greatly concerned. He saw everything was going on, and as beautiful and sophisticated as everything was in every other way in this modern city, it broke his heart. And I just think that's a good lesson for us because I hear what I, what I hear is a lot of Christians complaining and griping and judging and condemning and writing all this garbage and adding one more negative voice into the whole set. Paul doesn't do that. He just, he just it seemed like he prayed, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. It, 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 just, it concerned him. Maybe that's just one place for us to begin. I believe if we're more compassionate, we'd see more love effectively flow through us. He's invited to a meeting of the Areopagus. This is the big shots who get together and trade philosophical ideas. The Areopagus is simply uh, an outcropping of, uh, it's like a big rocky pile right beneath the Acropolis, which is like where all of, the, it's a big mountain where all of the fancy buildings are. I've got a picture of Carl and I. We were there in January. The church sent us there for our 20th. So this is, this is Mars Hill right here. This is where Paul himself stood. I think, in fact, in that exact spot. <laughs> and behind you can see the Acropolis up here, and there's like a temple to Nike. Yep, before there were shoes, there was a temple. <laughs> and this is where Paul went with all the heavy hitters and the philosophers and the thinkers, and they said, let's, let's, hear, what, let's hear what your ideas are. And so Acts chapter 17, verse 22, Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you're very religious in every way. He doesn't condemn them. He says that he kind of picks up on what he can pick up on. As I was walking along your journey, uh, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars even had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. There's so many people today that have this vague sense that there's something more, there's something out there, there's got to be a missing piece that makes life make sense. And we can just help them see, well, I can name that thing you're looking for. He's got a name. He goes on to talk about, he has a, it's a very, he's sort of a Christian Socrates here. It's beautiful, and I invite you to read it through. We don't have all time for it today, but he talks about how God is not impersonal, and he kind of refutes some of the Epicurean and Stoicism uh, philosophies of the day and just shows them who Jesus is. Verses 27 and 28, his purpose 
was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. They didn't believe that. They thought he was unreachable. But in him we live and move and have our being, as some of our own poets, as your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So you see what he does is he quotes some of their, their own cultural touch points here, which I think is really interesting. He's connecting with them in a way that made sense to them. He doesn't begin with the Hebrew Scriptures. That would have been gibberish. He didn't just ram the Bible down their throat. They didn't understand anything about the Bible or care about the Bible. What he does is he reaches for a poem and a philosophy statement from their own culture and works from there to hopefully help them hear what he wants to tell them about Jesus. And I think there's a lot to learn from that. And by the way, that's why we encourage all of us, as if you're a Christ follower, just to listen before you just start, a, start sharing love on your terms. Listen so you figure out the cultural touch point. And by the way, that's why Mountain takes the ministry approach we do. For example, next week we start our Christmas series. It's called Strange Christmas. And if you are a Netflix aficionado, you probably recognize, well, that logo looks familiar. Well, there's a big hit show, right? What's it called? Stranger Things, all the Netflix people say. And it's, it's me just quoting local poets like Paul did on Mars Hill. Just kind of saying, you know, there's a cultural touch point. I, I understand it gives us a way to, to break into it. We're going to actually end up talking not about strange, stranger things, but we're going to talk about some of the strange, powerful ways that Jesus changes things in our lives. And I think it's stuff that everyone's going to want to hear. And by the way, I hope you seriously think about it. There's a card you should have that uh, is either right in front of you. I can't remember where it is. Is it in front of you? you have the cards? Yes, that card. Write down the names of five people that, that you could invite to one of these strange Christmas services, especially our Christmas services. Oh, my goodness. And drop it in one of the boxes that have looked like a big Christmas present at any one of our campuses so we can be praying together with you about that. But we're using a cultural touch point as a way of beginning. And then Acts 17, verse 32, as he told them about Jesus and the resurrection... Well, some laughed in contempt. Others said, oh, we want to hear more. And that ended Paul's discussion with them. But some joined him and became believers. And that's pretty much the way it is today. Whenever you unleash love and you share this eternal word that might change someone's Christless eternity, some are going to mock it and say, I don't have time for that. They're just going to sneer and just say, this doesn't even make sense. I don't, that's not what I'm into at all. And some are going to say, I don't know, let's keep talking. And some are going to believe and receive because the time is right. And here's what I would remind you. As you unleash love, I love that old quote, you know, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. God's job to judge and your job is to unleash love. Okay? Holy Spirit's job to convict, God's job to judge, and our job to love. And you know what, if you can just un unleash love, you never know where you're going to meet someone along their life's journey. That's what this church can do together, is just help turn someone's world upside down. That happened for so many people through Unleash Love as we launched the Abingdon campus. I want to give you a story of, of um, someone whose life was really changed that way. His name is Ian, and he was kind enough to just share it on film for us. So go ahead and watch the screen.
My name is Ian Fisher. I grew up, grew up in Hartford County and I've been living around here pretty much my whole life. I always had two different sets of rules growing up. That always made it difficult to focus on Christ because I always thought that the, the rules were what were important. The little bit of purpose that I did have was from my work, but I knew that wouldn't be a long-term solution. That's what kind of got me into thinking about God again. I was living at the Enclave at the time, which is in Box Hill Corporate Center, and I noticed, uh, noticed some signs coming up that a campus was opening up right around the corner. Uh, I could walk to it less than five minutes. You could hit it with a golf ball, could I could, well, if I knew how to golf really well. <laughs> but, what, do you remember the date that you first came to Mountain? Yeah, it was, uh, it was when it opened. It All right, September 17th, the, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was doing the At The Movies series. So you show up to the Abingdon campus, and it takes you a few weeks to finally do that connection card and go to MI5, and then you end up, it just kind of snowballs from there. You're in a group, uh, you're on a serving team with production, you're on a serving team with Welcome, and eventually you land at our Welcome to Mountain gathering. God said something to you in that gathering. Tell us about that. So what caught me in that, in that gathering uh, was uh, the, the phrase that we say around here, in the essentials, unity, and the non-essentials, liberty, and everything, love. I always got that wrong. I tried to make rules that would make me feel like I was loving on people. So now the essentials are Christ being, being our Savior. And something happens, right? Uh, there's a really special day not too long ago. Uh, tell us about that. I got baptized uh, on, on December 31st. I was chatting with someone in production about getting baptized, and I'd been baptized as a child. I had to make that choice for myself. And we got to celebrate with you. What a beautiful moment that was. Yeah. And that's changed your life. You've told us that. We've seen it. We've been, over the past couple years, working through this Unleash Love initiative together, knowing that it's more than just a moment. God is always unleashing love in our lives and will continue to forever. This journey of finding mountain and finding faith and being baptized, we know it's impacted you. But Tell me how you would define the phrase unleash love. For me, unleashing love is about uh, my purpose in Christ. Um, and I think a lot of people uh, invested a lot of time and effort into me. So I think going forward in the future, like I, I have to make sure that I'm unleashing love to other people. I need to make sure that they're finding their purpose and that that I can go out into the community, in my neighborhood, or, or my job, or even, even if it's here at church, uh, I need to, to make sure that those people can find their purpose through Christ. Uh, we need to sacrifice and make investments in each other, um, and we need to do that out of love. Isn't that awesome? Man, I'm so glad that we launched that Abingdon campus together, aren't you? I mean, all the campuses pulling together to launch a new one. That's a beautiful vision. But that didn't happen without a lot of effort and a lot of struggle and a lot of sacrifice, a lot of generosity. But I think that sounds sort of Jesus-like. It sounds like the way when he said, go unleash love, I think that's kind of what he meant. And I'm excited about what else God has done over the last couple of years. And we've celebrated a lot. I'm not going to take a lot of time, but let's just 
God's done so many faithful things. Let's just take a moment to celebrate a few more things that God has done. Um, I'll put a couple of pictures up here, and then at the end we'll have one raucous round of applause, all right? So, for example, God has sent new people like Ian to the Mountain family. And over the last year, Mountain has grown by over 20%. And right now, our average attendance is over 6,000 people every single weekend. We've had over 500, I think, 10 or so baptisms. We've had these rooted groups where people are growing closer to Jesus and one another, 623 people in 55 different groups. And because of uh, Unleashed Love, we're able to launch that Abingdon campus. It's running over 1,200 people every single weekend as we're there. Let's just thank God for what he's done in the last two years. It's crazy. It's amazing. It's great. It doesn't even touch on the church plants as we talked about last week and other things like that. So much more around the world that we could say. It's one of the reasons why I want to just take a moment and unapologetically just say, I am excited and expectant for what God's going to do in this end of the year Unleash Love December offering because we've got an opportunity to position ourselves and end the year strong and show extraordinary generosity to help leverage it to unleash love in really powerful ways at the end of this year and next year. I have people like Ian in mind when I say that to you. And I just hope that everyone who calls Mountain Home will prayerfully consider what you can do, not what you can't do, but what God is calling you to do to give a sort of above-what-you-would-normally-do gift to make December something really a radical expression that mirrors somehow the expression that Jesus gave us when he came to us so we can leap forward in ministry. We've identified these three really big visible targets. I'm going to remind you what they are. These are some things that we will do, that we wanted to do, that we haven't been able to get to, but we believe we're called to do, and we can do and will do with generous December um, gifts in Jesus' name. First, we have already some really cool, um, very family-welcoming kids' space at Abingdon Campus. Here's a couple pictures. You kind of get a feel for that theme and how it is. It just really says something to families that come about how much we care about them. I think of the days of Joshua when, when um, you know, they had seen so many great things in their lives in the days of Joshua in the Old Testament. You know, God had led them through the Red Sea safely as the water parted. He'd seen manna provided from God when they needed it. They'd seen, you know, the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. But then it says in chapter 2 that the, another generation came along who didn't know the Lord at all. One generation after these people that had had all those great God stories to tell, it's a great reminder, isn't it, that the real legacy of any people is the next generation. And so we just want to be a church that loves kids and cares about families in that way. And so this is part of why making cool space that's welcoming and conducive to learning and really uh, we want to do this, the same thing we did at Abingdon, we want to do it at Bel Air and at Edgewood and at Mountain Road, and that's one thing that this offering is going to help to do. And then second, you know about how uh, we're, we're, we've begun um, this online worship experience. And some of you are joining us right now, perhaps online, and it's great because hundreds are joining us every week. And now we're excited about the ability to improve and increase the technology so we can reach thousands, but actually do it in a way also that's more interactive so we can help people just do less than watch but really move along in their faith uh, step by step just as if they were part of, of a different community. So that's an important piece. And then last, you heard last week from, the, from Pat Gerber who was here.
here. Here's Pat and his family, their mountain family that has gone to Africa two years ago to work with uh, Missions of Hope in Kenya. And we want to do our part to help them to go back for another two years for the work that they're doing there. And I can just... As again, I can just say confidently and unapologetically, just say, let God move your spirit to unleash love through generosity this December. And I don't want to belabor it, but I just, I just I want you to know how important it's going to be for what God's going to do through Mountain in the future. So prayerfully decide on that. And let me just close by reminding you, uh, I think I did this the first week. Do you remember what the last word is in the book of Acts in the Greek text? It's the word akalutos. Akalutos, which basically means unhindered. So Paul's been telling this story about how the word of Jesus has been shared here, there, and everywhere. It goes here, but then it runs into, then they get, someone gets beat up. Someone gets thrown in jail. Someone gets in a shipwreck. Someone gets persecuted. They stone this guy to death. But you know what? The message goes on unhindered. And guess what? I think Luke wants us to turn the page and say, we're living out Acts 29 right now. The Bible ends in Acts 28. But we're living and writing Acts 29 right now because the word of God, the message of Jesus, the love of Christ needs to go on what? Unhindered. Don't let anything hinder you. Don't let anything hinder you from letting the love of Jesus come to you and flow through you. I love what Hebrews 12 says. Hebrews 12 says, Chapter, uh, verse 1 says, we're surrounded by a great, great cloud of witnesses. Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses. Well, there's been 2,000 years of witnesses that are now surrounding us saying, it's your turn. And we're surrounded by that great cloud of witnesses. And then it says, therefore, let us throw off anything that hinders, even sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. Friends, I don't know what's hindering you. If it's fear, throw it off. If it's greed, throw it off. If it's busyness, throw it off. What's holding you back? From living the kind of life that God's calling you to live, from really letting yourself be a conduit, an unleashed love machine. That's our call. Here's the key, verse 2 of Hebrews 12. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Throw off what's hindering you. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Here's the question. How's God calling you to unleash love? Let me pray for us. God, we thank you so much for the invitation into the greatest work in the world. We pray that you will help us in our little lives to unleash love right where we are. But even beyond that, to be able to go here or there or wherever you lead us. We pray that you will help us to to have a bigger dream than just, you know, having a little Jesus on the side, but that we would know that he wants to turn the world upside down and he wants to use us. So help us each do our part and then use us together as a church. And God, add your blessing to this December offering over the next few weeks. Let it begin today with an outpouring that begins to really turn things around for so many different people. We pray all of this in the good name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Mountain 